Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. you have uh, been joining us in our reading of the Gospel of John in the lead up to Easter. If you have not yet signed up to join us in that, you can still do so. You go to MyFaithRadio.com and you simply join our Easter reading um, program. I don't really know exactly what the lingo is, but we're reading through the Gospel of John and today we're in the fourth chapter. So um, here we find Jesus at, at a well in Samaria. And he talks with a woman. And you know this story. I mean, I know that this is a familiar story to you. Um, And so I would invite you to allow this to uh, capture your imagination anew. We had a conversation with um, with Michael Card about the way that we need to re-engage our holy imagination when we are reading the scriptures. And particularly when we are reading the gospels, we need to allow ourselves to be drawn into the story. So don't just think to yourself, you know, Jesus is um, taking the more difficult route by passing through Samaria. I want you to actually acknowledge the reality of all of the customs of his day that he was coming over against by walking through Samaria, by talking with a woman, um, by talking with a woman who was not married to the person who she's currently living with and had worked her way through actually several husbands. Like this is this is a conversation between a man who is regarded as a holy teacher, right? Jesus is a rabbi and this is the way he's understood in the culture of his day. We obviously understand him to be the Messiah, but that was not that was not information that was widely scattered at the time. But what does Jesus reveal to this woman? What does Jesus reveal to this woman? This surprising recipient of the good news of the gospel. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. In verse 25 of chapter 4, the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to this Samaritan woman at the well um, and that should shock and surprise and delight us. Jesus was willing to go where other people weren't willing to go. He was willing to talk to people that other people weren't willing to talk to. And he was willing to share the good news of the grace of God, of the Messiah, of who he is um, with people that other, others um, considered as outcasts of, of every variety. And then this woman turns and actually becomes this missionary voice. She goes back to her town and she declares that uh, there's a man at the well who told her everything that that she had ever done. And then she provokes the question, you know, is it possible? Could he be the Messiah? And then the people go and see for themselves. Jesus then stays there for two days, enjoying the hospitality of people 
um, who had been cut off, who had been sidelined, who were considered half-breeds. And Jesus stays with them and enjoys hospitality with them for two days while he shares with them things that are undisclosed to us by the gospel writer. All right, John chapter 4, I commend, uh, I commend the gospel to you today um, and consider, consider what's in here for us in terms of recipients not only of the good news of the gospel, but people who are then in turn handed the gospel to carry it to others who are currently without hope currently without hope. All right. You are the people of hope. We are the people of hope. We are going to have hope-filled conversations this morning. First up, Dr. Melissa Mork, professor and chair of the Department of Psychology, Criminal Justice, and Law Enforcement at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. She and I are going to talk about resilience. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Melissa Mork. She is the professor and chair of the Department of Psychology, Criminal Justice, and Law Enforcement at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Many of you um, remember her also for the course that she led us through related to grief. Uh, Melissa, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Why, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Good morning. Well, it's delightful to have you. Um, uh, I just thought that it would be a blessing for us to have a conversation this morning about resilience, but maybe we start off. Um, mm-hmm. just addressing the concerns and the needs of people who literally can't go. They cannot access those regular groups. I'm thinking here like AA and NA. Um, they yeah. cannot access those regular groups. And so we, we need some coping mechanisms. Let's talk about um, coping in times of social distancing. Mm, wow, it's a big question. Um, and absolutely, I think that mental health and chemical dependency needs are being um, addressed quickly, but not quickly enough, I think, uh, virtually now. So there are opportunities to access groups online. Uh, There are opportunities to access teletherapy online and by phone. And so uh, don't give up hope that there is no resources available because there are, and many clinics are shifting to fully online right now um, very quickly. But in the meantime, how do we cope? We cope by attending to our immediate physical needs, deep breathing, you know, drink water, create space away from the people that might be driving you a little crazy when necessary, Um, attend to your safety needs, and not just safety needs of making sure that you're safe from the virus, but also safe from negative self-talk and harsh criticisms that come from your own head, giving yourself grace and... um, allowance that you're struggling and say, yep, this is really hard. This is novel and new, and I've never been through this before, and this is really, really hard. But finally, I think that the most important thing that feeds our our resilience and helps us cope is to access some sort of connection with another person, particularly a person who might understand what we're going through. And the phone is available to almost all of us that we can make phone calls and reach out to other people and talk, talk. We have to, when we're grieving, when we are struggling, when we are um, going through the hardest times, we need to connect with other people as well as connect with our faith. And if we can connect with other people that encourage our faith, that is a, a wise choice. 
I'm wondering, um, Melissa, as you, you know, as you think about the people who you know who, um, who struggle just in the best of times, um, mm-hmm. for, those, for those of us who may now be um, quarantined or self, um, you know, self-isolated with mm-hmm. an individual who struggles in this way, how can mm-hmm. we be a helping person um, and not a person who is, you know, in any way, in any way um, contributing to mental distress? Yeah, the I, I'm going to go back to the uh, piece of advice that I ended with, and it's important to talk and not be the person that pushes the buttons or accelerates the distress, but the person who can be a, a voice of calm, a voice of reason, but also a, a person who can allow them to just say, this is really hard. And this is for for the children that are in our lives and for every adult that we know to be that person to say, how are you doing today? And it's important to ask that question, how are you doing today? Because it, there's ebb and flow in how we are functioning and how we're dealing with things. So to open up a conversation with that, how are you doing today? And then listening, just really authentically listening and responding to the key words of emotion that you might hear. That can really be a balm to somebody who is struggling to be heard, authentically heard. And not to correct, right? Like I think that, um, right, we're so so prone to want to fix things or make them right or make them not sound as bad as maybe we all acknowledge they are right now or we don't know the mysteries, the unknowns. Um, I am finding that even just in my conversations with the healthiest of individuals, um, mm-hmm. th- that I have to resist my desire to correct because I don't I don't know the future right. any you know I mean other than I know the one who holds the future but I don't know yeah. um, you know I don't really know how to tell my kids yes we are absolutely going back to school on a particular date I don't know that I don't know what's going to happen in relationship to the end of the year school activities and so. Um, to 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 not correct them when they sort of hopefully imagine that they're going to go back sooner rather than later. Right. Um, right. You know, I don't I need to resist my own tendency to be the person who is right or to, you know, to manage my own way of thinking by imagining I'm in some level of control. I just am just learning to just allow yeah. other people to have whatever feelings they're having about the situation and resist correcting them. But that's hard. I mean, that's learning for me as well. Right, because when we do attempt to correct or say, "Oh no, no, it's fine, you, you're fine," we're doing we're doing that for our benefit, not for theirs. And I noticed that after my husband died, I got a lot of platitudes and cliches from people that were able that, for their own benefit, would tell me how fine I was doing, you know, or that this wasn't as hard as I was imagining it was, and it was hard. And so, just to have somebody say, "Wow, this is tough. This is tough," and I I, I have no words can be a powerful comfort, you know? Yeah, it's okay to say I have no words. Absolutely. Right. Um, Melissa Mork and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to take a very brief break. We're going to talk specifically about the broad topic of resilience. And we're going to talk through some different applications at different ages and stages of life related to this. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Melissa Mork, professor and chair of the Department of Psychology, Criminal Justice, and Law Enforcement at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Um, Melissa, um, 
it, in my own experience just over the last couple of weeks, um, and I'd love some direction on this, um, I have begun to note that the conversations that I'm having with children are very different than the conversations I'm having with older teenagers. Those are very mm-hmm. different than I'm having than the conversations I'm having with, let's say, college students and, and mm-hmm. young adults in the working world versus the conversations I am having with my elderly parents. Mm-hmm. Um, can you walk us around in sort of the different age and stage conversations related to isolation or disappointment or fear or, you know, and all of those things related to resilience at, at all of these different stages of life? You know, we are always changing. And part of what's happening is there's brain changes that happen. So young children don't might not have the cognitive ability to really wrap their heads around what is happening. And so there's, um, so we have to talk to them about the situation in very different ways, like you said, than we would with a teen who's, who's much more rational <laughs> and have the teen has um, the ability to think about in the abstract and yet their fears are heightened. We've seen such a higher, uh, significant higher level of diagnosis of anxiety disorders among adolescents and young adults lately in the, the last few years. And so anxieties are high. They're thinking in the abstract, but their prefrontal cortex is not yet developed. And so they're not able to really manage it because their amygdala is firing so rapidly. Then you are dealing with the majority of the population within adulthood, but when we're getting to the elderly, many of them, anxiety does not go away, but yet there's also more of an eternal perspective of, I've lived my life and this is what I've done in the past and how I've endured in the past and how I've gotten through in the past, and so there's so much more wisdom there. But yes, we do have to talk about it differently with uh, people depending on their life stage. Absolutely. So we have uh, discovered that it's really fun to uh, to get grandma involved in conversations about what her experience was when she was a very young child because she was born in 1938. Mm. And so she has some um, some memories of uh, of real privation when she was a child. And so she remembers things. Um, and can share those things and provides a context because obviously grandma ended up doing quite well, right? Like, yeah. like there's there's a hope, there's a hope in talking with uh, people who endured this as endured similar experiences as children, and yet mm-hmm. you know they grew up, they went to college, they had families. We're a part of that. There's a legacy, um, and then I really do think that the opportunity to be having conversations um, about eternity. You know, just really, I don't know about you, I've I've been um, very aware that pretty much anybody who dies right now, it gets reported mm-hmm. on. That's pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't normally, as a culture, pay this much attention to literally every death. Right. Right. And I think that, that eternal perspective is what's going to get us through this. And even in the daily behaviors of being quarantined with your family, the question is, I I, I encourage people to think about two things every day. What can you control and what do you have to let go? And can you maintain an eternal perspective? In the scope of eternal life is the amount of screen time my kid is having today. Will that matter? Or in the scope of eternal life, will the way I talk to my kid today, 
will that matter? My witness to him, the way I love him. So I, when I'm trying to make decisions about how am I going to spend this moment, this day, my activities, what matters has eternal significance and what doesn't. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would cope, how I would have resilience through all of this if I didn't have faith in the promise of eternity. So maybe we pause there and consider um, the gift that we have to share as believers with those who are not yet believers. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm also wondering here about the uh, not only the opportunities that exist for conversation, but um, but the approach to that, like, right, my evangelical Mm -hmm. zeal might be burning really hot right now. Right. To Mm -hmm. be. Uh, scaring people into um, into a relationship with God, um, but really, what we want to be illuminating is the the peace which passes all understanding, in which we yeah. are living as Christians in the midst of this. Um, that ought yeah. to be the attractive thing to others. Others ought to see um, the peace with which we are living in the midst of this and say, "There is something different about that chick." Oh, Carmen, I absolutely agree. I think that it's the way we live our lives that is the testament to his salvation. So I think that living in that peace and being able to just, you know, be present with other people with that calm attention to say, "Mm, mm -hmm, I hear how frightening this is and demonstrate peace as we're having that conversation is, is powerful. Absolutely. Melissa, um, what a joy to get to talk with you today. Um, I hope that we can continue this conversation in the future. It's a it's a blessing yes, for you to bring not only your wisdom, but your experience to bear um, on the things of life. So thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. What a delight. We'll be right back. All right, a little breaking news um, for us. Every major news outlet now reporting that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has tested positive for coronavirus. That is according to the Prime Minister's office. Um, Prince Charles, we are already aware, has tested positive. So when we talk about the UK, we talk about uh, the senior leadership of the UK, need to be praying for them in the midst of all of this. It does occur to me that we have a number of heads of state around the world, including our own um, you know, who are individuals who are in the high risk category. Boris Johnson, I, I, I don't think should have been or would have been in terms of, um, you know, age and stage of life. Um, obviously, Queen Elizabeth at 93, Queen of the United Kingdom, um, my guess is the uh, circles of protection around her are pretty thick right now. But um, but around the world, we have a lot of heads of state for whom we should be praying. Um, the, the president of Lebanon is 85. President of Cameroon is 87. Uh, same is true of the uh, the Governor General of Belize. Um, I, I I can't remember um, how old Abbas is, but um, you know the the president of the Palestinian uh, National Authority. Um, but he's in his 80s for sure. Um, so just just think about um, the age and stage of uh, of heads of state around the world. Um, and let's be praying for them, okay? Because one of the things that actually sort of, you know, holds the fabric together in society is stability and leadership. And so let's be praying not only today for our own president and vice president and the governors of this nation, um, but people who are heads of state around the world. Because we really, 
in addition to praying for our own country, we want stability around the world um, in the midst of all of this. So let's be praying in that direction today as well. All right. um, We are going to take a brief break here at the bottom of the hour. I'm sure the headline news will be uh, fascinating to all of us. Uh, And then next up, Chris Martin is going to join me from LifeWay Social Voices. We're going to talk about um, how each one of us can more effectively use our social media platforms. I don't know about you. My webinar invitations are blowing up. Lots of opportunities to meet with people on Zoom or Skype or, you know, in, in live webinars. So we're going to talk with Chris about how to effectively um, engage in all of that. And then specifically how you can use Facebook groups to reconnect with people um, from your church, maybe your Sunday school class or your community group. So a way that you can actually make that happen. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so when you are um, when you are thinking about the ways in which you can positively share the good news, the encouraging word, um, an uplifting message with your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, those whom with whom you are connected on social media, but who from whom you are now disconnected. Uh, in terms of social distancing, I want to encourage you to share the resources that we have available at MyFaith Radio with others. Um, and so if you go to MyFaithRadio.com, you could you could grab the podcast from a particular episode of a show that you have enjoyed or you've thought to yourself while you were listening to it, hey, my friend Bob or my friend Susie would really benefit um, by hearing that. And you can go and you can get the link for the podcast and then you can text it to them or you can email it to them or you can send it to them on social media. Like there's all kinds of ways, right, that you could be, you could think of it as like a radio missionary. Um, You could also think of it as a way of um, just exposing other people to the good news of the gospel in the midst of this. We recognize that fewer and fewer people are listening uh, via live radio, like terrestrial radio, because not as many people are driving to work. But all of these programs are available streaming when they happen at MyFaithRadio.com, and then later on as podcasts. So you can still listen and you can still share what's happening here on MyFaithRadio. You're just going to need to do it on a different platform. So go ahead and download the Faith Radio app and start listening to the podcast and then share that with others. Make yourself an ambassador of this ministry in the midst of this time of social distancing. All right, next up, a, a sort of expert in how to live connected to one another when we're not in the same physical space. We're going to be talking with the manager of LifeWay Social Media at LifeWay Christian Resources. His name's Chris Martin, and that's up next. Hey, Mom and Dad, are you holding a grudge against one of your kids? Did your son or daughter mess up, and you're still holding their mistake over their head? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. No relationship can thrive without a spirit of grace and forgiveness. As parents, we need to acknowledge the pain that comes when our kids fail to meet our expectations. Withholding forgiveness builds a huge barrier between us and those we otherwise love. Do some inventory today. Think about the ways you might be causing your child to pay for the pain they've caused. How about burying the hatchet? Don't you think it's time? Let them know that it's over and that you love them unconditionally. God did it for you. Let's do it for our kids. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
Joining me now is Chris Martin from Lifeway Social. You can find him at on Twitter at Chris Martin 17. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, I think we are getting very near the time that there will be another person in your house, like physically. There's a person there, but they're not in the world in the way that maybe everybody, you know, recognize we can't hold that baby yet. So when are we anticipating you're going to be able to hold that baby? Yes. So um, so my wife is uh, the due date for our for our daughter, uh, Maggie, is April 13th. Uh, however, um, as you can imagine, with everything going on in the world as it is, um, especially in our hospital systems, the uh, she had to go to her doctor's appointment. She's in weekly doctor's appointment at this point in her pregnancy, and she had to go to her doctor's appointment last week or this week on her own. I was not allowed to go with her uh, in order to protect myself and others, surely. Um, and the doctor advised that uh, you know she's moving along just fine and that she thinks that she could be induced a week earlier than her due date. Uh, without any issues in order to reduce the risk that I would be prevented from being in the hospital uh, when our daughter arrives. So around the country, particularly in New York City, where things are are worse, uh, the uh, hospitals are preventing fathers from uh, entering the hospital to witness the birth of their children, which is a heartbreaking thing. But at the same time, given their terrible situation up there, I, I can't blame the hospital systems for taking such drastic measures. Um we definitely want to avoid that here. And while the doctor doesn't think they'll get to that point, the sooner we uh, get our daughter here, the less likely it is for that to happen. So April 6th in two Mondays, uh, that would mean the next time I'm here, theoretically, I have a daughter. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to see how it goes. But that's, that's the plan. Can we pray for you and others in your situation? Would that be okay? Of course. Chris, what's your, um, what's your wife's name? First name. Her name is Susie. 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 All right. We're going to pray right now. Father, we come before you. Um, we, we're, we're bearing up our brother Chris and our sister Susie and this precious baby Maggie. Um, and, and as we lift them up to you and just ask for your continued protection over them, um, that you would continue just perfectly knitting this little person together in her mother's womb, um, we acknowledge that she's fearfully and wonderfully made. We also acknowledge, Father, that you know the number of her days and you know the day of her birth and you know all of the circumstances surrounding all of that and every day of her life. Um, and so, Father, um, as we lift them up, we lift up every other family in this nation and around the globe um, who is living with this great expectancy of, of a child entering the world, but doing so in the midst of our current reality, which is so disrupted. And so, Father, we would ask that you would grant peace, that you would grant mercy, um, and obviously, Father, continue to pour out your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's actually, uh, it's sort of become my favorite thing to do with people. Like, um, I've got a guest, Hunter Baker, who's on here regularly, and his father-in-law is um, has COVID-19 and is really, really suffering. And um, so we've been, you know, we've had guests on who uh, Drew Griffin has actually like survived the virus. He's been through the whole process and is recovering. But, you know, he and his family live in a thousand square foot apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so self, right. Self-isolating has been weird. Yeah. So it's been it's been good to talk with folks about what they're experiencing. Um, and then and then also, you know, how they're making use of social media, which obviously is my uh, conversation topic with you today. You have some great wisdom to bring to bear on this entire um, conversation about how we can effectively use social media right now. So 
Um, let's just let's just talk about that, both personally and for groups. What are you seeing and what are you encouraging people to do? Yeah, obviously, this is a time to a time to shine for social media, kind of right. Um, a lot, everyone, everyone use oh, not everyone, but a lot of people uh, in our world today use social media pretty regularly, just alongside normal life, alongside uh, in person, face to face social life, kind of as a companion. And uh, but right now, social media is about the most social life we get outside of our family and maybe anybody we bump into at the grocery store. We we uh, my wife and I picked up a pizza from a local pizzeria the other night that's owned by a family from our church. And I went, you know, I I braved the uh, I braved the risk and actually went into the pizza place to pick up our, our dinner and um, bumped into not not literally trust me uh, but but metaphorically bumped into some other church members and it was so refreshing to see some friends for the first time in a few weeks um, and so it um, you know it's a, it's a hard time to not be near other people especially you know as we just talked about with our context of about about to have a baby it's going to be hard for us to receive meals given to us by our small group without being able to actually say hi to them and and talk with them but social media can kind of bridge that gap it's no it's no substitute for real life community but it can you know it's better than no community at all um, and, uh, you know, running social media at Lifeway and kind of overseeing all the different social media work we do there, we've got 150-ish accounts that we have online at any given time. It's It's been really cool to see how much more active people are and the, the positive – you know, social media gets a bad rap a lot of times because there's a lot of negative interactions that happen on social media um, and – and because because we're sinful people and and social media just kind of reveals that in us. But I, I have seen a lot of great stuff happening online. And I'll get into a couple examples of that in a second. But in Facebook it's, itself, the company has said they have seen more activity on the Facebook platform than they've ever seen in the last few weeks, um, which Facebook is, you know, it has its pluses and minuses, but being able to connect with family and friends there during this time when you can't connect with them in person is a real, is a real blessing, I think. And so it's been really cool to see, you know, I've got a friend who, uh, is a musician here in Nashville and he's been playing some live shows online. I've got a pastor friend back in Indiana who's been reading bedtime stories for, uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia for people, a, a number of authors who've done that. We've done some of that through Lifeway as well. Some, I've seen some children's ministers doing that. Um, I have a, I have a friend who is a, a techno DJ living in Berlin who's doing a Facebook class each day on, on how to become like, you know, kind of an armchair music producer, which is kind of cool. Um, there's a local weatherman here in Nashville who's using Facebook Live to teach the basics of understanding the weather to kids or, or, you know, adults too, I'm sure. So it's just been really cool to see how people have been adapting and innovating. You know, there are so many bad things to come out of this self-isolation and coronavirus pandemic, obviously sickness and healthcare workers being overworked and burnout and all, just all kinds of negative, hard things to watch. But I am really encouraged by and and interested to see how once we emerge from this on the other side, whenever that may be, um, to see how the sort of innovation and experimentation we've gone through on, especially in our relationship with the internet and social media, maybe carries over to our life post-isolation and enhances it and, and makes us you know better at loving and serving each other through the internet moving forward. 
so many things that we're now doing um, differently than we did before and things that we had maybe tipped our toe into. And now, man, we're, we're just in, we're swimming in things like Facebook, Facebook Live. So when we come back, Chris, could you just give us a little tutorial? Someone's listening right now. They're thinking to themselves, I'd love to get my Sunday school class together somehow um, on some platform so that we can look one another in the eye as we're talking about a passage of scripture. Could we just use that as one tangible example and teach people how to do that? I think that's great. Okay, super. We're going to do that when we come back. I'm talking with Chris Martin from Lifeway Social Voice. We'll be right back. All right, so we have listeners, uh, Chris, who want to know, all right, how, how can I get my Sunday school class or my church community group together on some social media platform so we can still feel like a group and still talk about the Bible and pray for each other. So lead us through the process. Yeah. So there are a hundred ways to do this, probably not a hundred, probably 15 good ways to do this. But let me give a simple recipe on how to try to maintain some sort of community with a community group or a prayer group or something like that amidst all of this. So um, the first thing I would do is I would start a Facebook group in order to keep in contact with everyone easily. So a Facebook group, um, if you don't have a Facebook a Facebook account, you can create a Facebook account and uh, go on, create a Facebook group. Uh, you could even, if you're savvy enough, you could, if your church has a Facebook page, you can actually connect the group to the church Facebook page. So they're kind of like handshaking. They're, they're like clearly connected and not just independent of each other. So my community group has a Facebook group all the time, not just, we didn't just create one, but we have a Facebook group all the time because group text messages can get a little cumbersome and they don't necessarily need to include everyone all the time. And so a Facebook group is a nice way for us to coordinate uh, when we're having our weekly meal, who's bringing what, or if we need to make a change to where we're hosting community group for a given week, we can kind of post announcements in that Facebook group. So a Facebook group is a great way to keep all of your Bible study members or prayer group members, or uh, in my case, we did not have a uh, Facebook group for our city, our, for our church uh, student ministry, which I lead. Um, so I created a Facebook group for our church student ministry. Now, in that Facebook group are not the students uh, because most of them don't have Facebook, either because their parents won't let them or because they don't want one because they're on Instagram and otherwise. Uh, but most of their parents are on Facebook. So the students' parents join the Facebook group, and it's a nice way to stay informed and keep community, keep community with them during this time when we can't see each other. So a Facebook group is the first step. Um the second thing is, if you want to actually conduct Bible study during this time over the internet, there are a number of ways to do that, and I'm going to list three possible ways you could do that. First, uh, keeping in that Facebook group, if you just wanted to teach without necessarily having face-to-face -face interaction, but if you wanted to teach and um, just go live online, you can go live in that Facebook group. So if you created the Facebook group, added the 15 people who are in your Sunday school class, and then you clicked on your computer, it says go, uh, go live on Facebook or whatever within that Facebook group, you can go live and you're just, it's a one way communication video wise, but people can type comments or ask questions via typing uh, as you're presenting. 
But video-wise, it's one way. So it may not be ideal. But if you're just looking to teach and not necessarily go face-to-face, that's a that's the simplest option. You get everyone in that group. You go live and you're there teaching them easily. The two ways that you can go face-to-face relatively easily are staying in that Facebook group or staying on the Facebook platform. Facebook Messenger allows you to do a group video chat. So if you wanted to kind of keep in the vein of Facebook, because most of most people, you know, 75% of Americans have a Facebook page. So it's already kind of a known, understood platform for most people. Um, you can, in Facebook Messenger, create a group Facebook message, and like you would a group text message, for instance. But you can all go on video at the same time. So it's, you can all go on video and all be video chatting with each other in a Facebook message together. So that's a way that you could conduct Bible study through a Facebook group message. We did that with my youth group before we set up this last option, which is a Zoom room, which there are plenty. If you just search, how can my church use Zoom right now in Google, you will find plenty of articles explaining how you could use Zoom. It's not a social media platform. It's a video platform. Uh, it's It's a communication platform like Skype or something like that. But it's primarily used by companies like Lifeway uses it for video conference calls or video meetings. And that Zoom is, just so you all know, if you're hoping to conduct a Bible study, it's the most reliable in terms of video quality and things like that. Uh, your your meeting can only be 40 minutes long if it's a free, if you're using a free account, so keep your Bible study to 40 minutes. Or if you want to go longer, you can pay, I think, like $15 a month or something like that and, ha- and go as long as you'd like in a group message. So those are just a few options of how you can connect via video, um, but I think – uh, you know, there are there are dozens more uh, and, and you can find what works best for you and your group. Well, what I like, Chris, is that um, although there are dozens, you're helping us like narrow that down. Right. Because that's just I mean, part of what's so challenging is that like if there's 100 options, it's a little bit like choosing cereal right now at the grocery store. Right. Exactly. There's too many. There's just too many options. So I'm I'm better off when the grocery store shelves are like half empty because then I'm like ah fewer choices, faster shopping. So um so thank you for sort of narrowing it down. These are actually the two that we use in our family, um and at our church as well, and in our interactions. So I'm I'm a big fan of Facebook Live. I think it's really fun. Um and and then also um I use Zoom a lot and. Um, I went ahead and did the did the sort of monthly fee thing so that I can not only have uh, larger interactions with more people across the country at the same time, but also then I can record it and save the meeting. And that's kind of cool, too, yeah. um, to be able to use in that way. Um, Chris, I hope that we can circle back around with you. Obviously, we're going to be praying for you and Susie and the arrival of Maggie um, I don't feel like this season of social media is going to get any less interesting. I think it's only going to get more interesting. I agree. I agree. It yeah. is. And, and, and hopefully we learn a lot of things in this time that carry over for best practice moving forward, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Chris Martin, thank you so much. You guys can follow him on Twitter, Chris Martin 17 Not that he's the 17th, but I don't know. It's, we're going to have to come up with a really good reason for that number to be there so that <laughs> yes. we can, like, remember it, like, hold, hold it in our heads. All right. Thanks, man. We appreciate you being here. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Thanks. You, too. We'll be right back. You know, I just love being with you, and I know that uh, in the spirit of of the Apostle Paul saying to the saints at Rome, I long, I long to see you. I long to be with you. 
I got to tell you, last night's little live event that we did, um, and so many of you participated across the country, uh, it was so good to see you. Like, right? That was just really, really fun. And so um, be on the lookout for the next live event. I feel confident we are going to repeat what we did last night in terms of the experience. Uh, not specifically the content, because, you know, when you gather together and you pray for each other and you encourage one another, um, it kind of happens in real time. So thank you to all of you who logged on to MyFaithRadio.com yesterday and um, and then joined me last night for the live online event that we did last evening. Um, be, be watching for information about that in the coming uh, days and weeks as well. If you'd go ahead and sign up for um, for emails from MyFaithRadio.com, then you're going to be sure to be informed about those events um, as they uh, as they are scheduled and as they happen. So go to MyFaithRadio.com, sign up for some stuff, right? Like sign up for our Gospel of John study that goes um, from now until the Monday after Easter. Sign up to get emails. Like that's a great way for us to stay in touch with you and let you know when things are happening that we don't want you to miss. Um, also, when you get those emails, see, that's a great way to have something that you can just forward to a friend and invite them to listen to a podcast or be encouraged by um, a particular blog post that you find there uh, at the website as well. So just go ahead and use this as a time to just be a radio missionary. Like, even though we're not all necessarily listening on the radio radio anymore, we're listening streaming on live at myfaithradio.com or we're listening via the Faith Radio app. Really, um, really cool. I'm just going to invite you to be praying for each other this morning. Um, thousands of people are gathered together right now in this event, and I just love that. Even though we can't see each other, um, we all stand before the Lord together in the Spirit of Christ. we got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.